We're going to be looking into the book of Haggai. We've been in the book of Haggai for uh, a little while now. Um, And today we're thinking uh, about uh, how this prophet, uh, with a message for God's people, how he came onto the scene and and brought God's truth and God's word into their hearts. He comes and he speaks uh, and they listen and it's all going on at a particular time in a particular place in history, as we've often been reminded. But what he tells us about God, that's for all time, isn't it? That's not time-specific. What he tells us about what it is to be in relationship with God is not confined to this time when uh, thousands of years ago God's people were looking to to build their, their temple back in Jerusalem. Um, those people, the people of Israel, they were in relationship with God. Now, it's believers in Jesus who are in relationship with God. People like us, God's church. And so, what what Haggai is telling us about God, about what it means to trust him and to live in relationship with him, is appropriate. It's something for us today. Now, what was just this particular situation not going to go into it in detail. But you may remember that the Israelites have come back from exile in Babylon. Uh, and uh, when they came back, their first job, in, in fact, the reason they were brought back originally was to, to build the temple back in Jerusalem. They'd been thrown out of Jerusalem, the temple had been destroyed, and they were supposed to come back and rebuild it. Uh, and the reason for that was that it, it really mattered, this temple. Because the temple itself was a, a sign of God being with them. And God being with them, them being his people, them knowing God in their lives and in their community was really crucial because they're going to build this renewed identity and, and new kind of vision for the future. And they came back, as we heard, and they, they started the job, and then they all got really discouraged and the whole thing stopped It stopped for 15 years, and you know why they got discouraged? I won't tell you. And then, uh, after about 15 years, two prophets appear on the scene, bringing God's word to them, Haggai and uh, Zechariah. And the words of Haggai and Zechariah help get God's people back on track again. And the book of Haggai is the message that Haggai brought, or a summary of it. Maybe it was his bullet points as well, you know, like PowerPoint, you know, we got the main points in the book. Now, how do you find Haggai? Well, the best way to find any kind of obscure and difficult book in the Old or New Testament is to find a long book quite close to it. And so the closest long book is Matthew. So if you find Matthew, and then start paging back, within about four pages, you get to Haggai. So you go backwards from Matthew, you go Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. It's easy, or it's on page 948, if you're happy <laughs> to use that Bible. I ah, see, it's easy, when you know how. So I hope you got it. Do you remember what Haggai's big message was? What is his big message? He keeps saying to them, time and time again, God says, the Lord says to you, I am with you. He says, you need to know that I am with you people. That's what he's saying. He said, you need to know that the Lord says he's with you. And in actual fact, he's with you before you finish the building. He's with you as you build. Now, they're building something that is a sign that God is with them. But God is saying to them, look, you know, the reality is that I am with you, and that's just a sign of it. But you need to realize that God, the living God, wants to be with you. 
He wants to be at the centre of their lives together. It's not just about the building. The building is just a sign, in their case, that God was with them. And Haggai uh, keeps reminding them, God is with you, God is with you. So respond, he's saying. And Haggai helps them to get started again. He helps them to obey the Lord. He helps them actually to be what they are. They're meant to be God's people. They are God's people. He promises his presence with them. And Haggai says, believe it and respond to it and get on with what God's called you to do. He wants them to be actually living with God's presence. Not just doing their life, not just building their houses, not just going to sacrifices in what was, you know, the beginning of a temple altar, not just kind of doing stuff, but seeing that God has got so much more for them to experience of him in their lives. That's what Haggai is saying. Experience that. And they get it. They respond to the word that Haggai brings. Uh, and we read in chapter 1 that the Lord stirs up their spirits, their hearts, and they got going. And they started building again. And God, they responded to God's word and God's spirit stirred them. They, they had the kind of inner motivation to do it. And there's a massive turnaround as they start work. Even the government comes on board. Remember, you know, when they got discouraged, the people who were discouraging them spoke to the government and told the government to, you know, kind of, you know, grasp them up, kind of speak. And the government said, well, you mustn't do it anymore. And then Haggai and Zechariah come along and say, don't take any notice of that, just do what God says. And they start doing it. And then even the government turns around and the government sends another edict saying to the people that oppose them, you're going to pay for the building that I want my people to do fantastic turnaround occurs. Now, have you ever heard these words? They usually come after a sigh. Here are the words. Should be. Ever heard those words? You know, you say, I'm really sorry about that. You try and put it right. Somebody says, well, don't let it happen again then. Ever heard that expression? It's not very encouraging, is it? You know, you kind of think, oh, for goodness sake, give me a break. I've, you know, I've apologized. And, you know, but it's the, the, the person you've offended or whatever it is, um, you know, has got their way of kind of keeping you down. Well, but it's a good question. How do we stop it happening again, whatever it might be? Chapter 2 in Haggai, he helps them with that question. How is it not going to happen again? They've been overwhelmed by discouragement and disappointment. They've stopped doing what God wanted them to do. they kind of gone cold. Well, Haggai's kind of challenged them to come back, and they've come back. Chapter 1. Chapter 2, he's kind of taking them into what you might call spiritual rehab, helping them to be ready not to do it again. And we saw last week that God keeps telling them, I am with you, he says. And he explains to them, you can read it in the first half of chapter 2, what that means. That it means that they can be strong and get on with the job. It's very straightforward. He says, you're not on your own, so you can be courageous and you can get on with the job. And don't be intimidated by what happened before, because I am with you. And then the other thing in the first half of chapter 2 that Haggai tells them, he says, realize who it is who is with you. It's the living God who's with you. Remember what John was saying about the Lord of hosts last week? The God of armies, the God of resources. He's the one who is with us. He's the one with you. He's the one with a big story in his hand. He's the one who says, I'm going to shake the whole heavens and the whole earth. It's all mine. 
and I am with you. I'm going to complete the purposes so you can get on with it uh, and do what I say, says God. Now, how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? For us, when discouragement or disappointment gets the better of us, maybe it doesn't with you, it does with me, how do we avoid that happening again? Well, maybe chapter 2 of Haggai might help us. And today we're thinking about the second half of chapter 2. And uh, here, uh, Haggai brings a word from God. Here it is in chapter 2, verse 10. On a particular day, there it is, the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord. It's in December. I think it's December the 18th. I can't remember the exact date, but I think John Simmons told us that last week. And then, later on, there's another word on the same day, verse 20. So, two words from Haggai on a particular day in December as part of the rehab process. What had gone wrong? Haggai's helping them to see, well, why is it they got into this mess in the first place? And kind of rehab is about that, isn't it? If you've ever been in rehab, maybe some of you still are, I don't know. Maybe some of you wanted to go to rehab, but you said no, 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 or something like that. (laughs) Um, so, still awake, that's good. Uh, a couple of things they had to grab hold of. Things that they'd missed before. Things that if they'd got hold of them before, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Two things, and here they come. Chapter 2, verses 10 to 13. Let's read it first. On the 24th day, we've had that. This, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, verse 11. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest says, it becomes defiled. Hmm, what's this about? Well, here's something they need to get hold of, and this is it. Spiritual life cannot be passive. Let me show you what I mean. Haggai says to the people, come on, gather around, he's in the temple, or what, or the beginning of it, you know, the altar bit. I've got a word from the Lord for you, it's the 18th of December, there's a word from the Lord, who wants to hear it? People kind of gather around. As they gather around, he begins to explain it to them, and he's been told by the Lord to ask one of the priests who's around in the temple a question. It's kind of interactive. I'm not going to do it, so you all relax. I know we don't all well, we get very worried about interaction sometimes. But he asked one of the priests, he said, I've got a question for you. I want you to answer it so that everybody here can hear the answer. Here comes the question. Now, you priests, you, you, the, the meat you eat comes from the altar. You know, we remember when we looked at Leviticus, when they bought uh, meat for offerings, then it was separated off for the Lord. Some of it was burnt. What was left could be given to the priests for them to eat. So, you know, imagine a priest. He's on his way home to his wife and family after a, a hard day sacrificing at the temple, and he's got his bit of meat available, and he's got it kind of wrapped up in his coat. What his wife would say about all that blood on his coat, I suppose if you're a priest doing sacrifices, there'd be blood everywhere. Anyway, but anyway, he goes home and he's got that in his fold of his coat. As he's going on his way, if he, he bumps into something else, because he's got consecrated meat in his coat, does that make whatever he bumps into holy, set aside for God? The priest says, no. Doesn't work like that. 
So, and then I ask the question the other way around. Okay, what if somebody uh, touches a dead body that in their system was, was defiled and, and, and bad? And, uh, and, you know, in that system, if you touch a dead body, you had to be cleaned, consecrated, and go through a special ceremony. So this is the, the, the priest. If, if someone's touched a dead body and he touches somebody else, does that other person become defiled? Oh, yes, says the priest, okay? That's what's going on. What does that mean? Well, what's he saying? He's saying this, listen, you don't have to do anything in that culture to get corrupted. You can just get corrupted by, unde- by defiled things by, by just being there and touching them. And you know, if you do nothing, you are not going to become uncorrupted. See what I mean? In other words, in spiritual matters, knowing God in our lives, following Jesus, there's a kind of principle that Haggai is referring to. It's a bit like the second law of thermodynamics, if you're interested in that. You know, the second law of thermodynamics is everything tends towards kind of entropy, everything runs down. In other words, if you do nothing, it runs down, like the universe and stuff. And Haggai is saying, if you do nothing in your walk with God, if you're just completely spiritually passive, then it's not good. It's not going to be possible. Doing nothing means we go backwards. Why? Because of sin in us. You probably don't need me to tell you if, if you've been trying to follow Jesus for very long, that the sin in our own lives tends to push us back. We live in a fallen and a broken world, and the brokenness and the fallenness of the world tends to act like a current against us. We live in a world where there's a spiritual enemy, the devil, who's out to destroy us and bring dishonor to God. So if I just drift, I'm going to go backwards. That's the kind of point. Um, Haggai goes on. Look at what he says in verses 14 to 17. Then Haggai says, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw out 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. See, Haggai is taking them back to remind them them that what was going on before they started obeying the Lord actively, before they started doing what he wanted them to do, how just the whole of their life was just pretty rubbish in terms of, there was just never anything there. And that's how the principle worked out. And Haggai had told them this a few months earlier in September when he preached the message in chapter 1, and he's going back to it. He says to them, look, before you obeyed the Lord, before you got active about following God, it was all going wrong. He says the Lord was trying to get your attention. Why, verse 17 says, you did not turn to me. You did not return to me, says the Lord. You see, what they, they hadn't read, they had gone away from God by doing nothing. they just done nothing. They just carried on with their lives. They just built their houses, but they hadn't done what God had told them to do. And so God says, by doing nothing, you're kind of going backwards, and I want you to return to me, which is, of course, what they had done in response to Haggai's preaching. 
But Haggai is helping to see why, what went wrong. And they need to get hold of the truth that you can't be passive in your spiritual life. If we do nothing, if we're just passive about following Jesus, then we drift away, rather like a current. I went uh, on a dog walk once with a member of my family and, and their dog, <laughs> Amber. Uh, and uh, James was there, it was James. And uh, Amber, well, I threw a stick in the river, river test, and he said, don't throw it over there, because if she jumped in there, she'll be down out, out by the estuary, you know, because the current is so strong. You have to throw it in upstream so that it comes down. Uh, you know, so life is like that in the kingdom of God, or, or as it were, in the struggle that we're in. There's a current that's going in the other direction because of those things. Give careful thought, says Haggai. Give careful thought, he would say to us. We can't be passive followers of Jesus if we're not actively obeying him. If we're not kind of going for it with him, then we will be drifting backwards. And we will miss out on what God wants for us. That's the point. And they've come back to God and Haggai's saying, you're back to God. And it's great, isn't it? See what God has done for you. And, and now he's saying, look, just remember what had happened when you were just passive and drifting away. But it doesn't stop there because verse 18 goes on. Great verse. Verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, says Haggai, give careful thought to the day when the foundation or the buildings of the Lord's temple uh, was laid or got started again. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. You see, Haggai also says there is a way back to blessing again. And it's really simple. Haggai said to them, obey God and you'll get back to to, to God in your life again. Straightforward. Do what God says, he'll bless you. Okay, it doesn't mean everything in your life will go absolutely marvellously and never have any trouble from then on. No, not at all. But the presence of the living God will be with you as he promised to be, as we obey him, as we are active in following Jesus. He says, remember the point when you became obedient, when you started the building again, and you watch next season how much you've got in your, your fields. Because uh, December was the time when they planted. See, they'd had har- har- harvest in September, and then they had a bit of rain, the rains came, and then the ground got a bit softer, and then you start, you plant stuff in December uh, in the Middle East, and then by about, I was in the Middle East in January once, and it was a rocky place in Jordan, and it was just a tiny, tiny kind of green, I could hardly see it, and my friend said, do you, see, do you notice that, that the rocks over there, or the, the kind of scrubby thing, you see that tiny, tiny greenish hint of it? Yeah, I, and I hadn't noticed it yet, I said. He said, well, that's, the, you know, that's January, a month's time, six weeks' time, the whole thing will be full of flowers and you know, it will be absolutely beautiful. And then a month later, that'll all be gone again till next January. That's how it is there. And, and Haggai is saying, just you wait. Next summer, or next, uh, sorry, uh, reaping time, uh, uh, spring, it'll start growing again. Now, we need to remember, don't we, that spiritual life cannot be passive. It's a curse. I think it's a curse of our a kind of Western Christianity, to be honest. We just think we can just drift along, following Jesus if we want to, if we fancy it, you know, you know doing what he tells us if the sun's in the right place or the you know, wind's good or whatever, or we feel like it. 
uh, and we get this idea that, well, it's okay, you know, it doesn't really matter. And we're like the people in Haggai's time. We need to be active. Because God wants us to be, wants to be involved with us. He really is present. So are we drifting? Are you drifting? Be obedient. What could it be? Well, ask the Lord. Is there something that he's told you to do that you should be doing? could be baptism. could be giving, gift day. It could be something like just taking time with your spouse to pray or with your kids somehow, you know, in the right way for you. It could be something, putting something right that's gone wrong in a relationship. Someone you just have to avoid all the time in church because you've not dealt with the thing. could be something else in your life or someone else's life where you believe that God's grace isn't enough for that, that situation, somebody not in this church, somebody said to me once, I, I just can't forgive that person, I just can't do it, it's not going to be possible ever. This was, I'm not thinking of someone here. And um, there was a lady who's been following Jesus for 70, 75 years. You just say, oh, God's grace, no, God's grace can't touch that. No, God's grace can touch that. We can obey Jesus. Is it that? Now, you might be thinking, as they might have been thinking in, in Haggai's time, is that really possible? Does the Lord of hosts really care that, that much about me? You know, it's okay for us to talk about us, you know. God's promising to be with us. He's promised to be there, present with us when we do things. And I talk about the community with God at the center. But, you know, does that really include me? <laughs> does that include you? Is it possible that this God wants to be kind of in my life personally? You don't know me, you might be thinking. Well, Haggai has another word from the Lord, and it comes uh, a little bit later on the same day. And this word from the Lord, we read it in verse 20 to 23, has actually got somebody's name on it. It's got, uh, it is so personal, that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us. Oh, I've gone too far on that, right. Let's read it, verse uh, 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother." It's a word for somebody called Zerubbabel, and it's an incredible uh, promise to him. A word for a person, Zerubbabel. You know, you're never one of the crowd as far as God is concerned. What God says about his promises for all of them applies to, in a sense, to each of them. Don't think that what God promises isn't for you, but for everybody else, that somehow it's for us, but not you. It's for you. It's got your name on it. A word comes to Zerubbabel. Who is he? Zerubbabel is the last royal member of the royal family of Judah from the old line of David. His grandfather was King Jehoiakim, sometimes known as Keniah. He was the last one on the throne before he was uh, imprisoned by the Babylonians and taken in captive in chains to Babylon. That was, Je uh, that was Jehoiakim, Zerubbabel's grandfather. Uh, Zerubbabel's um, uh, uncle, or rather, it's, uh, sorry, another member of the family, yeah, Zerubbabel's uncle, K 
Peconiah's brother, Zedekiah, became the last king of Judah. He was like a vassal king. The Babylonians put him in to do what they wanted. But the last real kind of independent king of Judah was Zerubbabel's grandfather, Coniah, a Jehoiakim. So imagine being in a family where everything that's happened to Israel is your family's fault. Imagine how that would make you feel. Because God's word had come and said, you know, to the kings, it's you. I'm judging you. The people are going into captivity. Bit of a weight on Zerubbabel's shoulders, eh? Imagine that. But what does God say to Zerubbabel? Well, he's told three things. And what he's told, I think, is good for us too, because it's about how God works and about what God is like. So let's just go very quickly through these three things. Here's the first one. Zerubbabel is told in verse 20 to 22 that the Lord is the real king. How about that? It's a good thing to get hold of. There's all these pictures of what goes with power. Thrones, kingdoms, chariots, horses, armies, swords. All the things that Zerubbabel's family no longer have. (laughs) All those trappings of, you know, kingship and all of that. All just memories, you know, Zerubbabel might be thinking, cool, I wish I'd got those, you know, limousines, those kind of royal things, all that kind of power. All gone. And God says to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, you need to know that they don't matter because God is at work. Your history, God says to Zerubbabel, is in my hands, says God. And I'm going to even shake the heavens and the earth and God's kingship is what really matters. And we need to know that the Lord is the real king and that our histories are in his hands, don't we? If we're not going to let it happen again, whatever it might be. Another thing, this is quick, but you can look into this yourselves. The Lord, secondly, in verse 23, delights in his servant. On that day, verse 23, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Zerubbabel is called my servant. That was the term most used of David as king. God says, Zerubbabel, it's not all over for you. You're my servant. There's another servant is being promised by Isaiah, who was writing before then and, pro- um, and, and, and predicted the return from exile. And Isaiah's writing is peppered with references to a servant, a king who would come in the future. And, and what God is saying to Zerubbabel is that this king is coming. Zerubbabel wasn't that king. But what God is saying to Zerubbabel, I I love you because you're my servant and you're walking with me. I love you because you're looking forward to the the real king coming. And you know, for us, God delights in his servant, Jesus. Jesus is the one who came as the king, the Messiah, the servant Isaiah predicted. And for us, we, we look back on Jesus' life and forward to the day when the heavens will be shaken and everything will be wound up with Jesus as king of all. We look forward to that day just as uh, we, we look forward to that day and back to the Jesus coming at the cross. Zerubbabel looked forward to the coming of the king. But, but the key thing is that what Jesus has done is at the heart of it and God delights in that. And we need to know And and rather, Zerubbabel's life is to have the flavour of this coming king upon it. And we need to have the flavour of the king who's come. Or actually, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the aroma, the smell 
of the Messiah, the aroma of Christ, the aroma of the King who's come, is what God delights in in us as we love and serve him. The Lord delights in his promise, in his servant. So lasting change is promise. See, that's the thing that's coming through here. Not only do they need to realize that, you know, uh, you've got to be active in your spiritual life, but there's this massive promise from God. Lasting change is possible because the Lord is king. The Lord delights in his servant Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, he delights in us too. But finally, and I love this bit the most, the Lord can break the shame of the past. Do you know what God said about Zerubbabel's granddad? We actually have it on page 781 in our Bibles. Um, it's in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 22. I'll read it to you. This is what God said when judging Coniah, Jehoiakim, Zerubbabel's granddad. This was God's word on this man's family through Jeremiah on page 781, Jeremiah 22:24. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, even if you were a signet ring on my right hand, I will still pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek your life, those you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the Babylons, Babylonians, and so on. That's what God had said to Zerubbabel's granddad. He carried those words, I suspect, with him for as long as he'd lived. What does God say to him now through Haggai? I will make you like my signet ring. It's, it's kind of brought back, it's restored. The signet ring, you know, for the king, if you wanted to make a, a, a rule, a, a judgment, a bit of law, you've got the, your, your kind of coat of arms on your signet ring, you stick it in the wax, that's law. So it's pretty valuable. I can't get my ring off, I'm too hot. But you, you never took your signet ring off because, you know, if someone had it, they could start making laws, couldn't they, on your behalf if you were the king. You always kept the signet ring close to you. That's why um, Jeremiah says, uh, God says to Jeremiah, even if you were a signet ring, I'd still get rid of you. But to Zerubbabel, you're going to be like my signet ring. You're going to be right close to me. That's the future for you. The Lord can break. He breaks the shame of the past. We need to know, don't we, that the shame of the past can be broken by God's grace. Rehabilitation, healing from the past, closeness of the Lord into the future. Why? Because of God's grace. Where do we find God's grace? In the servant king. What Jesus has done for us and what Jesus now holds out to us. So let's realize that lasting change then is possible. In fact, it's promised. It's from the Lord. And let's remember too that spiritual life is active. Let's be people who actively respond to the Lord's promise to be present with us, not drifting, but knowing what it is to respond in love, to respond in faith, to respond in obedience to respond in commitment because he is with us. It's a great promise. Let's respond to it in our lives for his glory. Amen.